0: giving could be so complicated what to give when to give and how to give well Kevin's guest has insight into those questions and more Brandon O'Neill is vice president and charitable planning consultant with fidelity charitable he helps advisors build charitable giving strategies into clients financial plans that boost the impact of those gifts Kevin and Brandon talk not just about the growth of philanthropic interests but the efforts by some parents to include their children in the process.
1: Brandon, thank you so much for carving out some time today to come speak with us and our guests on the podcast about charitable giving, donor advised funds, and the work that you do at Fidelity. Before we we just jump right in, we know each other through our work with Fidelity, and, and they are one of our core custodians here at Sinistera Capital. But tell us your story. How did you end up where you are today, and how did you end up with a really a love and zeal for this type of work. I appreciate the opportunity to be on today. My
2: career, I started my career in the financial services industry at Fidelity. I started in 2008 during the kind of the market uncertainty. And so worked for the phones there for a few years and then made my way to the institutional group. But personally, my calling for charitable giving has always been there. Early on in my life, my family, benefited from the kindness of strangers. My kind of aha moment was I volunteered at a soup kitchen in 2013. And when I was handing out food, I saw a seven-year-old boy who looked like he hadn't had a decent meal in over a year. And really, that was kind of my moment, that kind of like lightning strike moment where I was like, oh, how do I make more of a difference? Luckily, uh, after that moment, I had heard that Fidelity Charitable was moving from their location out of Boston and opening up a a regional site here in the North Texas market. I've been here eight years uh, in the charitable gift planning group. I'm both a certified financial planner and a chartered advisor in philanthropy. So I've always had it in me to try and give back. And this is one of those areas where kind of things lined up there.
1: That's really neat. I I think with our families and, and even people beyond, I think charitable giving is so tied to personal experience. Mm-hmm. And it's so tied to things that have impacted you in your life. And it's really neat to hear your story from that side uh, of things. And really, that's what drives you to, to get up every morning and do what you do each day. Let's shift a little bit and just tell me about most of our people know about donor advised funds and, and private foundations. Why don't you just give us a, a quick primer on that and then talk about who is using each of those tools and how they might be using them? Yeah. So I'll just take a step
2: back and talk a little bit about Fidelity Charitable, tell how the program works. So Fidelity Charitable, we are an independent 501c3 non-for-profit organization. And we're kind of the best kept secret in the philanthropic sector in that we are actually the largest nonprofit organization. We were started in 1991 by the Johnson family to really grow philanthropy in America. This program is really designed to be simple and effective. But what had happened when he was doing his own family foundation work, he realized foundations can be a little bit burdensome. He actually, Ned Johnson, his family came down and started the first national donor advised fund. So that was in 1991. And since 1991, we've actually become the largest charity and the largest grant making organization. So in our 30 year history, our donors have directed $51 billion out the door and in the hands of nonprofits. So that's a meaningful difference. It's larger than the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on the philanthropic side. So what a donor advice fund is, it's almost like it's a charitable account that you establish here that basically gives you a lot of the benefits that a foundation can provide, but eliminates some of the administrative burden that a foundation can can bring. Basically with these types of accounts, people can make a tax deductible gift into the account because we are the charity, they get the deduction upfront. Once the funds are in the account, you as the advisor can manage those assets for them for future philanthropic growth. And because we're a charity supporting other charities, there's no tax drag in those types of transactions. That means more money is earmarked for philanthropy in the long term. And then lastly, the donors just grant those out to various different nonprofit organizations. I'd say where we're different from a foundation, some foundations have a little bit more control within them. You can be a little bit more specific on some of the granting side. But as a result, you give up a few things. You get less of a deduction with some of your foundations. And then also, because it's public record with these private foundations, you have to fill out a 990 and it says how much is in your foundation, where these assets are held, where you're giving to. So a lot of wealthy families I've partnered with uh, in the market have actually decided to unwind or roll down some of their foundations because Mm -hmm. it just, just becomes a little bit more operationally burdensome they're great solutions for both it just depends on what you're really looking to do
1: yeah well and also i think one other question that we often get from a philanthropic standpoint and curious to hear your take on them is uh, we hear the term a uh, charitable llc right you know obviously zuckerberg mm-hmm. and his mm-hmm. wife made these popular when they were, when they were taking facebook public Tell us just a bit about what those are and what what are the limitations there?
2: Yeah, so for those, some of the limitations is you're not getting as much deductibility on the front end because you can always unwind some of that. So the idea is you're earmarking these funds for future philanthropic support, but you're not getting some of the upfront immediate tax savings. The structure are unique in that it provides a lot of flexibility. I think some of the rationale behind it is it provides... A little bit more flexibility around political contributions and things like that. So I think that's some of the thinking for some of these families. Donor advised funds, the 501c3s are the charities that can be supported out of there. For organizations like these charitable LLCs, you can also do 501c4s, Mm -hmm. which are political action committees and things like that. So it just kind of depends. Philanthropic focuses, I think most people, it's kind of in the full nonprofit sector and less political
1: motivation. Yeah. Yeah, and I also know the uh, the LLCs can have some much like the foundations can have some more administration involved with them.
2: One of the things to keep in mind with private foundations, despite their name, they're not very private because all that information's public record. So, I think you're right. The administration is a little bit higher with these
1: LLCs as well as foundations. So, very true. And who is using the donor advice and who is who is the target user of the donor advice funds for us I and mean, we have such a narrow market it's mm-hmm. it's very easy to use them because it's you know it's just second nature to part of the advanced planning but really who is using them and, and how far of a reach do they have across society for us we've seen a
2: fundamental shift over the last few years so typically donor advice funds kind of sat in kind of a higher net worth and ultra higher net worth category what we have seen in 2017 that more and more Americans have lost their ability to itemize because of the doubling of the standard deduction and the cap on the state, local, and property taxes. So it made it very difficult for many people to itemize. So, And 25 million households lost their ability to do that. And so the most beloved deduction that was out there, which is the charitable deduction, kind of disappeared. And so a lot of families have said, how can I still give in order to get my deduction. Donor advice funds, not just here at Fidelity Charitable but across uh, the charitable sector have actually almost quadrupled. They just continue to grow. And I think that's because people are giving multiple years up front. So to say do we have a typical donor size, I mean, we have everything from very small accounts, you know, five thousand dollars that people just use us for simplified tax records all the way up to nine-figure accounts as well, So, and larger. So it just kind of depends. But I'd say a lot of the, the situations, it's individuals who really want to support charity that want to modify or manage their tax liability in the year that they're having a large tax event. So they might be selling a business, they might be t- getting deferred compensation or doing a Roth conversion. These are all triggers that create big tax liabilities. And this can allow you, this can be utilized as a tool to effectively lower that deduction in the year you need it, but allow you to give on that timetable. Very similar to like a foundation, you can plan your giving. This conversation used to be reserved for kind of a certain set of clientele, but now with the way tax reform has gone, I think people think about it like a 529 or an IRA. You just need an account like this to manage that deduction.
1: Yeah, very true. One of the things I very much enjoy about working with you and your group is, not just the knowledge of you and your team, but it's also the resources that Fidelity puts forth into this space. Like you said, they started this space in 1991, and you've been so dedicated to it, even though the Donor Advice Fund for Fidelity, if I'm correct, is pretty much a break-even operation. It's not a big revenue generator for Fidelity. No, yeah, we are truly a
2: nonprofit organization. Though there are some kind of fee-sharing agreements that are in place on the investment management side, the charitable operation. You're right; is is one of those ones where, for many, many years, this was a net loss. But when you look at what the what this has meant on the other side, that 51 exactly. billion dollars going out the door, it's something the the Johnson family is is deeply passionate about.
1: And, and did I hear right? 9.1 last year. So, yes, is that the yeah. right number? Yeah, it's staggering. That's that's absolutely sad. It's amazing what happens when you actually have appreciated stocks to give, huh?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's about 28. I like to think about it in round numbers because it's such a big number to think about. Every day, it's almost like $28 million leaving the program out the door to food pantries, to religious houses of worship,
1: cancer research, just out the door. That's really kind of the testament to our donors that's so great that's so great and speaking of those resources you know we'll talk a a little bit here i want want you to walk us through the process of giving an appreciated stock and then i also want you which i think a lot of our listeners are going to be very interested to hear is that fidelity has recently well not even recently even for a few years now has put a very high-end focus on digital assets so cryptocurrencies Mm -hmm. and things of that nature and i know that you have a process for actually donating cryptocurrencies. Most people didn't know you could do that. I'll put a little nod into Fidelity here is one of your tools that's integrated in our platform is the ability to sift through the lots and really find the truly most appreciated securities and then use the tool to define my my clients wanna do 250,000 of giving. What are the most effective lots to do this from an appreciation standpoint what account are they in? And then it's literally a push of a button and everything happens. It's it's the most, it's a really neat tool rather than having to go and find and do all of those journal entries or transfers for the the, the yeah. layperson would call it just to transfer myself. Tell us about what that process looks like for those families and then tell us about the kind of crypto gifting side of things. One of the things
2: I, I really get excited about working with families is really trying to find what is the most strategic avenue for their gifting, right? What is gonna be bring them the biggest kind of charitable bang for the buck when it comes to deductibility and at the end of the day, how they can use that. And so I think the biggest topic of conversation I try to do in my conversations with families is, and it's going to sound terrible when I say it, but it's to stop writing checks um, to charity. I know that sounds bad, but there's for many of the families that we work with, Cash is probably the worst asset to give because if you write a check to charity, you just get that single deduction, right? If you gift an appreciated asset that's been held longer than a year, not only do you get the deduction like you would with a check, you also avoid the embedded capital gains tax. And because we're a charity supporting other charities, we don't have to pay that capital gains tax as well. So what that effectively is doing is converting that capital gain that they would have been subject to and converting it into a capital gain for the organization that people want to support. That's the biggest conversation. And when I look at it, like you said, uh, looking through a portfolio, the best way to do that is identifying your most appreciated asset first that's the one you want to look at. You want to start by looking at your non-qualified, non-retirement accounts to do that, and using those most appreciated assets first. For us, it's very simple. Once an account is established, you can actually journal those shares directly into the giving account, and that counts as a charitable contribution. So they get the deduction on the fair market value on the date of the transfer. And then once we sell it, all that money is in there for future grant-making capability. So it's a really... Simple and streamlined process for us to do that. And what I tell a lot of families is if you really love that stock, you can still buy that stock back and reset the basis. So, for many executives I work with, kind of in the oil and gas sector, they got a lot of low basis stock that's gone up. If you really, really love the stock, give it away, buy it back, use that to reset the basis within your portfolio. So, it can really be used as kind of a powerful planning tool in other areas within the kind of the charitable and wealth planning conversation, but it can making the actual pro- transfer
1: process is fairly streamlined and simple on our end. Gotcha. And now the big hitter. What about yeah. the crypto? What about the crypto? Yeah. Everyone wants to know about the crypto, Brandon.
2: Yeah, crypto has been a real hot conversation. And since we've started taking it in 20, uh, so we, we changed our gift acceptance policy in 2015 to receive cryptocurrency assets. The different types of crypto that we can take in are Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, and Litecoin are currently the ones that we can take in. And the process is very similar. So once an account is set up, the difference here is we have to do a letter of understanding. We want to understand how the crypto was acquired for for various different reasons. But once our team does the diligence on that, what we then do is send a QR code to the wallet of the person who is wanting to make a contribution with our wallet information. Hmm. And what they basically do is push from their wallet to our wallet the the number of tokens. We then accept them once we receive them. We won't hold them. We sell them And then whatever is left in the account after we've sold it is now in their account for future grant making. So it's a very simple process, very
1: similar to what you would see with, with securities, but it's through the crypto process. And how do they price that? Is that an end of the day? How do you price that? What is the actual value determined upon? Is it when they push their button or when you receive it on your end?
2: Yeah, it's a great question regarding crypto. So for us, um, it's important to consider timeframe when gifting cryptocurrencies to the charity, because these are capital assets, very similar to like stocks or bonds, you actually have to hold them longer than a year to get the fair market value for it. So that's one piece of consideration, but to actually say what the value of the gift was, Because it's not a publicly traded security, you actually would have to get a third-party valuation, a -hmm. third-party independent valuation for the gift. You'd have to work with a firm to basically say, what was the value on the date that you transferred it to the charity? And there are a couple partner firms that we work with when it comes to those types of
1: um, kind of valuation appraisals. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, I think also what's really important is just to know that it can be done. I think so many people assume because it's a crypto asset, really you're dealing with the big ones too. There's no Dogecoin sliding into Fidelity at this yep. point. <laughs> no, not, <laughs> thank, not thank God. Yet. There's like 1600 different cryptos out there or something like that now. But really the big players in the space is just letting people know that, yes, you can do this. This is mm-hmm. something that you you can accomplish because when it comes to highly appreciated assets, that's one of them these days. It is, very much really, so. Really getting up there. Well, let me just spin around just a little bit and talk about really some unique gift planning ideas. You and I talked about this ahead of time. A lot of the work that we do here is with people who own companies, venture capitalists, partners at VC firms, partners at private equity firms, execs, people that have a lot of closely held stock. Some of that structured in in GP interest, LP interest, and some held directly as part of their, their ownership position. What are some unique tools or ideas that you often help implement for these type of individuals when it comes to charitable giving?
2: Yeah, so there are two that I'll take a look at. So one, I'll say some of our capabilities on the contribution side, and then the other kind of be more of like a broader planning discussion around how they can utilize some of these closely held business interests. One thing that's unique about us here at Fidelity Charitable is we have the ability to take in those types of assets. Interest in private equity companies, LLC interests, hedge funds, those types of assets can come to us prior to liquidation. And when they make that gift to us, just like any other publicly traded security, they would be able to get a deduction uh, for the asset that they actually transfer to the charity. And they also avoid their capital gains tax liability. So we have a group of four attorneys on staff who help with these types of contributions. The one thing I would say that's pretty powerful about these types of contributions is these types of transactions tend to be the large wealth events. These are the moments where you really need a big lever to pull to manage that tax liability, but it's also a great opportunity to set aside that money for philanthropic giving. Like I said, we've got four attorneys on staff that really kind of help with that process. And uh, the, our group has helped take in almost eight uh, $8 billion in illiquid or non-publicly traded assets. One important piece of distinction with these types of assets is if you were to give por- portion of your private equity fund into a private foundation, you typically are going to be limited to the basis deduction, not the fair market value treatment. Mm-hmm. Because we're a public charity they would actually be getting a much more favorable tax advantage. So a lot of these families will come to us, they might have their foundation, but they're having a big liquidity event, they're selling to private equity. Um, It might make sense for them not to use the foundation because you're gonna have the lesser of fair market value or basis. And so that's not gonna provide that kind of savings that they're looking for. The other one I think I see a lot of people utilizing, especially in the equity space, is using a charitable remainder trust to facilitate some giving while also changing the tax status. So one of the neat things we see people do is drop highly appreciated stock into a charitable remainder trust. That trust can sell the asset. That trust isn't subject to the capital gains tax. But when that money flows back to the to the income beneficiaries out of these charitable remainder trusts, that's when the taxes do. So you can actually put assets into a charitable remainder trust that can pay out over long periods of time. So you're deferring that kind of capitalized gain over a longer period of time. Also neat about it is you can name a donor advice fund as that recipient charity. So you can do some more legacy planning
1: in those types of strategies. Mm-hmm. Very neat. Yeah, I know we've, we've looked at and done a, a couple of charitable lead trusts where there were unique assets that needed to continue into the family and using the donor advised fund to receive the front end of the lead trust is, is also a pretty interesting technique. Speaking of unique techniques, mm-hmm. people always wanna know what can't I do with a donor advised fund? Yeah. Yeah. They'll come to yeah. me with a wonderful idea that if, if actually something that could be actionable would be fantastic for them, but may not actually be permissible via the IRS or donor advised fund rules.
2: Yeah. So for me, I think the the area where we see that the most is on the grant-making side. Investments are pretty flexible. As you heard, the contributions are pretty flexible on what we can take in. It's really on the grant-making side is where there can be some issues on what's allowed, what's not allowed. And the biggest thing I like to tell people is, is when you make a contribution to us, Fidelity Charitable you get 100% tax. In most cases, you get 100% tax deduction on the date of the gift, right? So you get 100% deduction on the uh, upfront. So when you make the grants out to the various different charities that you're wanting to support, we want to make sure that the the status of those deductions are 100% deductible on the way out. Where this can become an issue is if you're wanting to send checks for like tickets at an auction or auction items, or tickets to a table at an auction event, or a gift to your alma mater. Those that type of things cannot be utilized through this. Another area is the grants have to go directly to the charity. It can't grow to an individual. So it has to go directly to the nonprofit. And the other is just making sure that the charitable
1: organizations are in good standing per the IRS. Gotcha, gotcha. I think the last thing that, that I wanted to cover was something that I really believe is a unique part of serving the next generation, and that is using this charitable capital as social capital as a way for the next generation to connect into a network of like-minded people And I'll I'll tell the story, just hopefully keep it brief here, but I'll tell the story as I had a client at at a previous firm and they had a big liquidity event and he had two daughters that were, one was in high school and one was in middle school. And the the gentleman, he was an investor in the company, gentleman sold the company, was going to the Kentucky Derby. And so they went to the Kentucky Derby every year, but on the way back, he said, hey, I'm in Dallas, why not just, we'll drop you off in Austin and go back to Dallas on the jet. Well, he hops on the jet and it's, it's like a citation 10. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like 40, $50 million plane. Yeah. Well, his older daughters, it's, it's, he's sitting in the back with his older daughter and the younger daughter's sitting up front with his wife and, and it, it, his older daughter turns to him and wh- whispers in his ear, dad, how much money do we have? It, and he said, he just panicked. He just absolutely panicked when he heard mm-hmm. this and he's, he's like, what? Oh my gosh. I was not prepared for this discussion about money Obviously, I didn't think about it when we hopped on this very expensive air- airplane. I, I get a phone call like 1030 at night and it's, I missed it. I was asleep and the message was, hey, call me when you wake up. I have something I really need to talk to you about. And so we, we called and we talked about it. And, you know, I said, okay, you grew up. He literally grew up dirt floor poor. Like his house had a dirt floor in, it, in Indiana. And I said, if there's one thing that you could give your children other than actually giving them the money, mm-hmm. what would you give them? And he said, I'd help them build a network earlier than I did, because it's the network of people that share common interests with me that have helped build the success around. Yeah. You don't always do it yourself. There's always people around you as a network of, of individuals that support you and what you're doing. And that's what happened in this case. That I said, okay, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we use... Your donor advice funds as a way not only to give them social capital, so wherever they end up going to college or finding their first job, mm-hmm. they have the ability to go into a nonprofit or the animal shelter, the homeless shelter, and actually make a donation and be very connected to that work and the people in that community who also care about that work. Mm-hmm. They thought it was a wonderful idea, and we did that. We also used it for educating the girls on. You know how portfolio structure worked and how prudent investment worked and that this was long-term money. And our goal was perpetuity or somewhere far beyond what they were thinking for that type of money. And then someone asked me one time, I told the story one time, he said, well, what did he tell her? And I said, well, he looked at her and he said, enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And I said, you yeah. know what, that, that might've been the absolute right answer at that time. Yeah. It, yeah. And maybe period, it was the right answer. Give us some ideas of, you know, that's a story from my side, but I know you have a lot of different ways. You see everything on how people are really using this to plug into their communities and support Mm. the causes and that they really care about. So I've had the privilege of doing this job for eight years. And I, I, the thing I
2: tend to try not think about so much is we, I spend a lot of time talking about taxes and tax planning, tax mitigation strategies, how to convert capital gains. But what I've come to realize in doing this job is that the main benefit of philanthropy is to either improve those in the community around you or to pass your values from one generation to the next. Those tax benefits are great additions too, but they're not the main driving force why people or families support charity. For me, what I have seen is this can be a very powerful tool to engage the next generation. I was working with an advisor in the Kansas City area a few years ago, and I was working with him around, what they wanted to do for planning for the holidays. The kids have got kind of more of like gift planning, like from a like what do they want to get the kids for for year end. And he's like, the kids have got everything they need. They've got all the electronic gizmos. They don't need mm-hmm. anything else. But what he really wanted to do was to try and start this charitable conversation. And so what he did is he took a portion of his giving account. We have something called gift for giving, which is like an like an e gift certificate. That you can give to any individual who has an email address a portion of the giving account to support charity what he did was at thanksgiving he was going to sit around the table and tell all the kids that they were going to be getting some checks or money in their account that they could then grant to various different nonprofit organizations and then at christmas they would all sit around the table and explain which charities they gifted to and why so what was really kind of neat about this conversation is I caught up with the advisor after the holidays, and he said it was great to hear where the kids were giving. The youngest granddaughter, who was really into the zoo, fell in love at the penguin exhibit, decided to take her portion of that a gift for giving and send it all to the zoo. While the oldest uh, granddaughter, who was really into music, decided to give it to a music program. It's a way of engaging that conversation, how to instill the values. And I think philanthropy is one of those powerful ways to do that.
1: That's a really neat story. That's a a, a really neat program. How long has that been going on inside of Fidelity Charitable?
2: It's been there ever since I've been here. So I'm assuming, I think it's probably at a 10-year anniversary on that particular program.
1: Very cool. That is that is really neat. I know we're butting up against your time here, Brandon. Thank you so much for joining. And, and I'll wrap it up by asking this question. I often ask this of individuals is, what question should I have asked of you today that I did not ask? I and mean, what is something we should know about Fidelity Charitable that I did not ask today?
2: One of the questions that I think people don't ask, but I think people should think about, is there any charity you love more than the IRS? Yes. Just by being a little bit more, for me, I think just being a little bit more strategic you can really amplify the impact, and that's the whole kind of point of what I do is really try and say, what do you have that's going to help serve the community better? Nine times out of ten, people are still writing checks. The appreciated property, which I know I've mentioned a few times, it just amplifies the giving, and it just kind of changes the way people give because once the money's in these accounts, it's already set aside; it's ready for future grant making. So when the need comes up. People respond. We saw that in droves last year with the pandemic and the other issues that
1: were out there. Yeah, they, they really did. I, it was very, very rewarding to see how many people stepped up during the pandemic, especially with charitable dollars. And we laughed about, you know, is there a charity you like more than the IRS? It goes back to the old planning adage that I've been talking to people for years about when pushing them towards a donor advised fund is that when you pass away, your money is going to go two of three places and it has to go to two and it can only go to and that is your family charity and irs whom would you like to leave out yeah yep yep that allows us to structure the donor advised fund into conversations where maybe that wasn't even on the forefront of their mind that type of charitable giving that's really neat to have your team and the people involved around you fidelity charitable and the resources really to help our families execute on this, execute it well in a cost-effective framework. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to the Uncorrelated Minds podcast. Click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. For more information on the topics covered in this podcast, please visit the show notes page for links to further information at capital.com. Sinasera Capital LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Sinasera and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and it should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security. It does not take into account... Any investor's particular investment objectives, strategies, tax status, or investment horizon. You should consult your attorney or tax advisor.